Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Casey. And this is Too Much Film School. This week we're going to be talking about the David Fincher remake of Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Or as I like to call it, The Rape So Nice They Did It Twice. Well, at this point it's now four times because there's, there's two, two different movies. There are two rapes in each, in each movie. movie and then, yeah. yeah, times four. But really with And that's only rapes of her because she, she yeah. does stick a dildo up the bad guy's ass. So I was going to say, that, and just... Country of Sweden, like per capita, that's probably pretty low for the average female, given uh, what we discussed previously, the number of males that are presented in the cast that are just sadistic rapists. Yeah, this movie didn't, uh, the American version did not change my opinion of, of never ever going to Sweden, ever. I like uh, their furniture and their meatballs, but not their rapes. Right. right. The, I'm going to make a firm anti-rape stand. You're going to make some enemies with that kind of thing. <laughs> All the pro-rape advocates are going to be emailing us. It's true. Right off the bat, uh, the film is clearly a more Americanized. It's, it's slicker and cooler. You can even start with the title. The little translation of the Swedish book was Men Who Hate Women. And they changed it to the girl's dragon tattoo. Because Men Who Hate Women is sort of a weird... On-the-nose yeah. kind of description of the context. Yeah. It's funny. The, the, the second book... The girl who played with fire is called the girl who played with fire, which is probably where they got the first the, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Yeah. They probably like that pattern. And the third one in America, we call it the girl who kicked the hornet's nest. The uh, the Swedish version is actually called the cloud castle that was blown up, which oh, obviously <laughs> I think is a better title. Right. But they felt that was too on the nose descriptive of what happened as well. I guess. Yeah, it, 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 the third one takes a. Odd turn. <laughs> Where they go to the cloud, cloud castle. castle. like Lando Calrissian. <laughs> and then the Millennium Falcon. Is what's up. That's why it's called Millennium Magazine. There you go. Now I understand. Circular. When but, you get to that third book, it's really eye-opening. <laughs> but uh, so after, besides the title change, the opening credits of this film. First off, they have the, the most obvious choice of song. They play the Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin, which is about them going to touring in Sweden. Right. It'd be like if they played Dirty Water in the opening credits of Goodwill Hunting. They're like, hey, we need a song about Sweden. What do we got? Well, I've got... I'm from the land of ice and snow. That kind of describes... <laughs> we have either we either got to do Immigrant Song or Bork, Bork, Bork. Those are our <laughs> only two choices for the credit sequence. They, they have this cool, like, Trent Reznor cover. Like, I like their version of it. No, and the, the cover of it and the visuals that go with it are awesome. It opens looking cool... Uh, and yet doesn't really relate to a lot of the movie. It's it's like people covered in oil, like the last Bond movie, right. strangely. It, it looks exactly like a Bond opening, but like condensed and amped up. Yeah, there's like naked chicks dancing around, and like eight different people grab some chick's face. Maybe it's Elizabeth Salinger, I'm not entirely sure. Pull it apart, but then a flower blooms out of it. It is uh, visually like stunning. A computer keyboard, like attacks someone. Yeah, and, and then wells up with oil. I think there's a barrel and Daniel Craig is in it and then he shoots and blood <laughs> comes down. But that might be... It might be mixing up a couple of Okay, and they're, they're similar. Daniel yeah. Craig's in them. I was expecting, you know, the opening credits for Seven. David Fincher loves to do crazy things with his credits. Like Seven had the... the, the, the it, Seven was the first time that we had the text that like jitters around and stuff. Yeah. And it's sort of shaky. That literally happened with they ran out of money... And they wanted to make the credits, and they said, here, you have to, f we have the footage that we film, and then you have to take another camera and film the text in front of it. And the camera that they bought was so cheap, it didn't have a registration pin that holds the film steady in place, right. and it was broken, and that's why the, the nice. credits look like that in 7. Uh, and then he does weird things like in... In, in Fight Club, it has Flying Through the Brain, and in Panic Room, it, ha it was the first time that we had, like, the text that was floating in front of buildings. Right. But it was, they, like, cast shadows and stuff, like they were physically yeah. there. That was the first time anybody did something weird like that. All of those credit sequences fit the tone of the movie and what it was right. going to be, and sort of told you something. This was, like, they, it, this could have been the opening for the Transformers movie. Like, it, it made no sense. Sexy, fast high-tech savage like it looked like a music video for the song cut together by Trent Reznor and then they put it at the front of the movie if you took out the credits it would be like yeah it, it might even be like, it's I almost awesome unrelated to the movie I felt like they, it captured some of the themes like the keyboard and I think there's a part where there might be a dragon with wings and stuff and yes she has that as a tattoo so there's your <laughs> tie into the movie and again the name but uh not a whole lot of the same tone or feeling None at all. That sort of clued me in 
right off the bat that like maybe this is not quite going to be Cohesive. as gritty and as uh, tough as maybe the Swedish version was. Yeah. And I think that bore out. Yeah, I don't think we really need to discuss the plot because we did that last time with the. Otherwise, uh, yeah, just listen to our previous one. In the in the in previous episode, we discussed the Swedish one, and uh, this did not. They altered the plot in minor ways throughout little little details here and there, and then ultimately uh, they found uh, Harriet in England instead of Australia, sort of saved a step. Uh, but for the most part, not a lot of changes, and everything I didn't like about the plot. Oh, it's not one murder, it's a serial killer, and um, everybody's a Nazi because, uh, you know, apparently rape is not enough to, to indicate bad guy right. in Sweden. You also have to add Nazi on top of that. All of those things are still there, and all of those things still bother me. Yeah, I thought that uh, from the trailer that we saw with the immigrant song and the quick cutting and just very high-end looking shots that David Fincher and a huge Hollywood budget will bring... I thought we were going to see a much glossier, stylized version of the same movie, which I did like the original, and thought, hey, if they can amp it up and bring something new, that even you know the David Fincher kind of mind-effing that he does in Seven or some of his other movies, bring it on. I will go see that. But in watching it, it doesn't feel like it added those things. There are prettier shots. Yes. But some of the things that I actually liked from the original um, get taken out. For instance, they somewhat soften Lisbeth, the character, Lisbeth Salander. In the original, she is messed up because of her situation and how she was brought up. She's cold, but she's a genius. She's calculating. She deals <coughs> with things like her guardian raping her, not by going to the police. She deals with it in her own way, by like hacking into his computer, uh, tasing him, tattooing him. These are messed up kind of ways, but very calculating. She detaches her emotions from the situation, and that really, and yet shows how smart she is as a detective as a hacker as all these things and really makes a character that you like in a kind of again james bond level of professionalism at her craft in yeah and then in this version she uh she sleeps with uh, bloomquest again which which happened in the original but then she ends up like falling in love with him at the end she sees him with his editor and she looks all like heartbroken and stuff like she wanted to continue a relationship with him which there was no indication of that in the original Right, I think that David Fincher or maybe his backers and things at the studio thought that the cold detachment was not American or people wouldn't, it wouldn't resonate with people, general American audiences. So they did a lot of steps to actually soften all of the characters. Uh, Bloomquist in the original was pretty much a bachelor for his whole life. He's, he looks like he's 50-something and yet they never speak of a wife or kids. In this one, they added an ex-wife and a teenage daughter that he visits with a couple times in the movies to, again, soften him. She I helps think him crack the case she, by recognizing yeah, the Bible she, quotes. They give a throwaway line to her that she's going to Bible camp and then she recognizes the Bible quotes instead of, in the original, Elizabeth is hacking into his computer even after she's done investigating him for her job. She keeps going into his computer and sees the Bible quotes that he's working on. She cracks the code and then reaches out and, I think, contacts him. So they bring that in to kind of soften him, but it also saps some of her tech savviness and just how good she is I felt like it passing it to the daughter was a misstep having the daughter felt tacked on to me and it I felt it insulting that they didn't think American audiences would you know tolerate a 50 year old man that had never been married and didn't have a kid having an affair with his editor you know well, in the original, you did sort of get the sense that uh, because he's Swedish, he must have raped someone in the past, right. and you just didn't see it. There you go. <laughs> and the, the having the wife and daughter uh, makes that less likely, although not impossible, judging by the villains. Right. The and even the character of the editor, his girlfriend, or on and again, off again, she's got a husband, and they mentioned that in this, but they're much closer, and they have like this warm relationship where she even comes and visits him at the Vanger house. Where he's getting shot at. Where he, he yeah, rape. Kill town, and I'm, and his daughter comes out. I'm like, what the hell are these people doing here? Oh, someone's after you because you're investigating. I think the shooting and everything happens after that. But... but why expose them to that while you're investigating this? You have enemies, and yet he brings them out. He even know. says, I should have gone and visited you. And yeah. she's like, oh, it's all right. The plot requires this. <laughs> yeah, and so those just felt like terrible missteps that made me think less of him as well. And I think, I don't know that I would have noticed if I hadn't seen the Swedish version. Right. So I don't know that those are necessarily terrible. It's just sort of a less bold choice than yeah, we had seen in the Swedish version. The tone change is mainly what I had a problem with because I felt a little insulted that they 
they had to make it more palatable for American audiences. And I don't know I would have noticed it if I didn't see the original, but that's what I liked most about the original, is that it had this cold detachment, it was unapologetic about it. I thought maybe that was uh, more believable for Sweden because from the society and culture that I know of it, they aren't as emotionally uh, codependent, I'll say, as you know Americans. They don't have to feel as validated. Uh, I don't know if it's the cold or what, <laughs> Viking nature, like, but uh, it was believable in that one and felt unique kind of from an American movie. And then they bring it over here and they take that one element out. Yeah. There was an, uh, there was a scene early on that I, that I noticed, uh, in the Swedish version, she gets attacked on the subway kind of randomly and then she beats the crap out of one of the dudes. And then in the American version, somebody tries to steal her purse, which is softening the, his negative... Right. Uh, it's not... It's, like, in the original, it was a group of four drunk hooligans that kind of, like, throw beer on her and, like, shove her against the wall. And they just, hey, this is how Swedish guys mm. roll. <laughs> but, yeah. Now now it's a purse snatcher who... Uh, it's not a good thing, but at least you're like, I understand a, a motivation. She chases after him, snatches the purse back, and does parkour down an escalator to escape him. Which, honestly is kind of cool, but she doesn't seem like a psychopath. Right, she just seems like she's clever. Yeah, in the original, that was one of the things that made her edgy, is that they break a beer bottle over her head, she's bleeding from the skull, and she still grabs one of the guys and just starts wailing on him. And you're like, oh my god, she's badass. She doesn't care that she's bleeding. In this one, it was kind of a fractured, you know, she does go after him, which shows she's strong, but she still feels like a victim. And then ultimately she runs away. And They also cut out the audio, like she's screaming at him, in a kind of built-up rage of this guy was probably wondering, like, I just stole her purse. Why is this? She clearly has issues. And <laughs> just screaming rape or something. Uh, which I'm sure in Sweden they hear all the time and no one pays attention to. But still, uh, she then, they dug, they drop out the audio, though, of that, her screaming. And because it, the they, they replace it with the sound of the subway train. Yeah, it was a choice, but it almost neutered the scene for the feeling of anything. It's the loudest subway train in the world, clearly. Like, it, yeah, yeah it, it, they were, it was clearly they decided to do that. It was not yeah. a natural. Right, and they so. sapped the impact that the original had, not just from her being violent and edgy and willing to go to these high extremes, kick it up a notch in the violence department when she's confronted with it, but it saps the impact of it. Yeah, there's there's no ambivalence. She's clearly in the right and uh, does not overreact. And and it's uncomfortable in the Swedish version that she goes so far. Uh, it, it you're obviously she's right, but it's also like it's questionable. Yeah, like in this, there's no question that she's the heroine. Right, and they did that elsewhere. There's a number of things where they just took those small points out and it did again neuter her as a character like her strength that I felt from the original one where she is badass and willing to cut someone uh, and in this one she's vulnerable and they that was probably a conscious decision they're like oh we want to show she's dynamic and she has she's three-dimensional character she does want to be loved she's has this past and she is a genius but she's still a little girl inside her I don't know what <laughs> they try to explain us but it makes her a less interesting character well, in the, in their defense, I do feel like, as she is in this version, she's still a tougher, uh, stronger character, female character than most American films treat their female characters. I agree. So uh, it, it's just not as doesn't take it as far as the Swedish version. Right. Um, following back to again some of the random plot things that jumped out for me, since we were mainly discussing the differences. During the mugging attempt, her computer gets broken just like it did in the original, but she pulls it out and it's a MacBook. And first, I don't think hackers and people that like to work with hardware and specialize their own, oh, I need this bitrate, you know, Ethernet card or whatever that can process this, are going to have a Mac. Absolutely not. It's a terrible... And, yeah. It's a great... We're recording this on a Mac right yeah. now. No, I, but if you're I, I, a I, hacker, it's a terrible uh, uh, device. Right. And then I think after she gets mugged, it's broken, she takes it to a Mac store or something. <laughs> like an official licensor goes, yeah, your computer's broken. And I'm like, she's a genius level hacker. I thought in the original, she goes to a guy that makes all her stuff custom. Right. And this just really... 
again, pulled a lot of the... I wonder if that was a product placement. It was a product placement because they were like, Mac. And I think Bloomquist has a Mac. They show the toolbar at the bottom when he's bringing well, up Bloomquist photos. Bloomquist having a Mac, I totally... Yeah, that's uh, fine, but the movie probably. was sponsored by Mac. Uh, as well <laughs> as... McDonald's, for McDonald's sure. McDonald's has at least three different product shots to try and make it almost character piece because she keeps getting Happy Meals, which, like I said, oh, she's still a fragile little girl inside from when her trauma was. But it just, it's product of camera, like... Isn't she just small? Like, she doesn't want the 10-piece chicken nuggets? Sure, <laughs> sure, that's what... And they keep showing the word Happy Meal turned perfectly to camera. It is, it's, and it's, it's well she, composed. She drinks a Coke with, again, labeled camera. Which on. is totally not necessary, because that logo is so recognizable. Yeah. Like, you just see the little, like, swirl underneath, and you're All like, that's red, a Coke. Red can with silver swirl. I'd be like, oh, Coke, without them shoving it down my throat. Yeah. So. And, I mean, that's how movies are paid for nowadays. Right. It's hard to begrudge them that. And, in reality, she probably does eat shitty fast food and does drink Coke. Although, actually, she would probably drink Mountain Dew, to be perfectly honest, if right, she's a hacker. Right, up all night <laughs> hacker, but it still felt ham-handed. And those are a lot of things that stick out in this is how we do American movies versus the Swedish one. Because, oh, we're going to make a lot prettier shots and have huge kind of sweeping vistas of the city. Um, even the Millennium offices were like 12 times larger for two shots. They go there. In the original, it's one kind of like big open great room where they have a kitchen part and it feels loft-like. And in this one, there's all these clear glass offices for two scenes where they go in there and he quits or... After he yeah, and does the lawsuit, and in, in the Swedish version, it's it seems like uh, an alt weekly that maybe doesn't even come out every week, and yeah. then the in the American version, it's like Time Magazine, yeah. like the quality of the offices. And then there's uh, Stellan Skarsgård, his villain's lair uh, underneath his house is right. much larger, uh, I believe, and it's it's a high tech like it almost Batman villain yeah, it's kind a bad of lair of rape. <laughs> like in the other one it was like it looked like a basement that had sort of been converted right he maybe put in a drain and some tile and you're like yeah he could have done that on the weekends uh, in this one he's got like a halon fire system of <laughs> knockout gas he has uh, a lift for like vests and wire works that apparently that you have to bring in outside contractors for a giant like soundproof door that's like steel yeah, and like a, a thumbprint keycard access and you're like I don't think he did that by himself on the weekends. He, you need contractors. But then again, I realized this is Sweden. So they're like, oh, it's my rape room. Oh, okay. <laughs> Makes sense. We have a good model of door for the, the rape room over here, if you want to look. <laughs> yeah, if you go to the, the Swedish Ikea, it's like the bottom level is there's yeah, here's all of the rape room. You go through kitchens, <laughs> then downstairs, and buy some meatballs, and then the rape room floor. Oh, yeah. We uh, call this the rape spard? <laughs> no. It is a little redundant to say the Swedish Ikea, by the way. Like I bet when you go okay, to Sweden, yeah, I got in that, IKEA, but as opposed to the Ikea in America. Okay. It's borderline ridiculous how how big and intricate his lair is. And then his camera that he records everything yeah. with is a 1985 VHS recorder. Yeah, that one he likes really likes the grainy look. Yeah. Everything else, ultra modern Swedish looking, but he likes lo-fi tech, you know, the the feel of the tracking when you're watching your rape videos at the end. Yeah, it's, it, it's a very strange choice that they did there. The family, like, there's only one driveway into this house. The family never noticed, A, all the contractors coming in for the rape room. <laughs> B, all the random girls that he brings home apparently once or every other week to rape and torture and they never leave. They, It's interesting the things they added like that or expanded to the size because similarly towards the end of the movie, after they solve the murder... She then goes to ruin the guy, Van Wienerstrom, or whoever, <laughs> uh, that was his enemy, and steal all his money. And that was literally a throwaway line, I think, in, like, they have a newscast in the original that says, the bad guy was found dead in the Cayman Islands, and a woman with severe hair uh, stole was seen with him, He and all his money's missing. And you're like, oh, she did that. She's ruthless. She knows he's bad. She killed him and took all his money. Because that's the level character they set up in this it is a 20-minute scene showing her getting a fake passport, putting on and buying a wig. Yeah, they show her buying the wig. If she has a wig, I'm going to assume that she purchased it. Like, yeah. I don't need to... They go through every step of that, and and then they go to Switzerland. She flies in because international banking is down there. And that's, but they have all these great shots of the city that are just great coloring and everything, and high-end Rolls-Royce is picking her up. And they just throw so much money there, which was a throwaway almost line in the original. 
I guess you have to bring McDonald's in to pay for the Rolls Royces. <laughs> and then actually, as far as sapping some of her cutthroatness, at the end of the, this version, instead of her being implied as the one that killed the bad guy, she just steals his money and then comes back to pine after Michael Bloomquist, and we, it implies that his Russian mafia ties, or whoever he was getting money from, killed him because now all the money's gone. She stole it and caused him to die, but she didn't put a gun to his head that the original movie implies. Yeah, it's uh, it all, and the ending of this movie generally, it goes on for way too long. Like, it right. it seems like it ended several times. You have the car chase with uh, Martin, yeah. where he dies. And, and then you, you realize, this is, again, problem with the original, in the book and the Swedish version, you, the, Martin seems like the bad guy, and you're like, oh, wait a second, we're still trying to find Harriet. Right. And, and then we got to find Harriet. And then we reunite Harriet with the old guy. And with the Martin car chase explosion in this version, she asks, she takes, frees up Bloomquist, he says there's a gun on the TV, she takes it, she goes back and asks, can I kill him? And he says yes. And that's... Not sure why she needed permission. She, it goes back to her being a, a young girl, or having grown up, they're interjecting that, oh, she grew up in a system, maybe she seeks, you know, permission or something, even though we haven't seen that because her handlers have been abusive, she trusts him as maybe a moral compass or she respects him. So she's asking him maybe because she doesn't, she recognizes she doesn't have the moral reading on things. So she's asking, is this an appropriate time to kill someone? He says yes, where, and then she goes after Martin. Martin crashes and his car is upside down by a propane tank. She's approaching him with the gun and for all intents and purposes is going to kill him. Which finally I was like, okay, we're going to get some ruthlessness out of her. But his car explodes instead, and then she puts the safety back on the gun. She was robbed of the opportunity to even try for it. Whereas in the original, he crashes and is on fire, and he's yelling for her to help him. And she walks away instead, and then he burns alive. So she kills him through inaction. It's still very cold. And Bloomquist, who in the Swedish version, she didn't ask permission, he didn't give it. He says, did you kill him? And she says, no. And he says, could you have saved him and didn't? And she says, yes. So he measures the situation and, you know, decides how he feels about that. But it's still far colder for her than I think he is comfortable with. And that was another character change that they did with very small steps that made this Elizabeth feel a lot softer. Yeah, in total, any one of them is not really a death blow. But in total, it does wind up being a little... Uh... She, she does seem softer, although arguably more of a rounded character. If you want to look at it from that perspective, um, honestly, I had a look. I had a. This is hard uh, as a man to uh, make a judgment on this, but the um, the whole idea of her character uh, getting revenge from the rape and all of that stuff that strikes me as a male fantasy. Um, from my understanding, Jim. Not- as the role of the rapist, but as the as the person as getting the revenge. Yeah. From my understanding of those circumstances, women generally try to forget about it, and and a man wants to get revenge, and that's not how you're supposed to respond if if someone you care about has been raped. Uh, and this seems like a guy who is writing about, oh, you know, uh, if if my girlfriend was raped, like she's she'd do. She kill people, tattoo them, cut them up. Yeah, like that. That's that's a male reaction. It's it didn't seem real to me. It's, well, it's, it seemed like a male fantasy. And this, by adjusting her character a little bit, maybe felt a little bit more realistic to me. Yeah, um, I mean, the original may have been closer to Stieg Larsson's perspective from the books, where he's writing it from that. I've heard that he based a lot of it off uh, him having seen a gang rape when he was young. Which, I, I guess, is probably a thing that happens in Sweden all the time. Right, yeah, I, I mean, mean, really. We, we have Sweet 16, and, and in Hispanic culture, there's uh, Quintanera, and in Sweden, they just have the gang rape well, when you're apparently, 15. So, and he was a journalist, and, I mean, based the character of Bloomquist off himself, he covered um, a lot of corruption and crime and had to, like, hide his address because there were people... After him, he received the death real, Yeah, the, the real, real Steve, Steve Larson. So a lot of this was based around his experiences, so I could see that kind of perspective of him trying to cope with his emotional response to what he saw when he was a kid. Maybe this is kind of a catharsis, even for him, of revenge and then 
based with facts from his own life. Right, but it felt like a male's perspective right. on that as opposed to a woman's perspective. It didn't feel like, uh, say, Silence of the Lambs. Clarice Starling, even though uh, it was written by Thomas Harris, who is a man, I assume that Thomas is a man's name, Clarice Starling really felt like a woman uh, doing police work. Uh, like, her whole thing was that she would observe things about uh, the other women characters that the men just totally, like, missed. Like, she she finds the music box and finds the hidden pictures and right. stuff like that. Just even though her, even though the victim's house had been gone over a million times by, by they, male police officers. They play more to the, her female perspective. Yeah, she's, she seems like a real woman to me. and she, But she's still tough and drawing guns and shooting right. the bad guy and stuff. Versus Girls Dragon Tattoo felt a little bit more like a male fantasy of that as opposed to an actual woman to yeah. me. And maybe David Fincher uh, tried to bring it a little closer to reality as opposed to me casting it as a, them making it more palatable to, to Americans. But I didn't like the effect either. When you look, it's a little odd when you look at it in the context of David Fincher's films mm -hmm. because almost every one of his movies is about men and men's relationship to each other. Like Fight Club and Seven are sort of really obvious right. cases of that. But like even Alien, he takes the he took the Alien series, which is like the one of the few action series centered on a woman, right. and he sets it in a male prison, <laughs> like when he did Alien Three. Right. And then Panic Room, it's got Jodie Foster and Kristen Stewart, and nothing against them. They're, I'm sure they're lovely people, but they're pretty much the manliest actresses of their generation. I don't know that you can call Kristen Stewart an actress. Well, she is on screen for <laughs> movies, but that is not acting. She was, I liked her in, uh, in Panic Room. I haven't she, seen the Twilight movies, so I have never actually had her ruined. I've seen her in other films, and I think she's fine. I think maybe she bites her lip less. She hasn't <laughs> fully come into her, her acting chops, really, when she was younger. So she was just staying there and not doing anything, which some people regard as the best acting you can do, because uh, it kind of looks natural, but... Regardless. But bringing it back around to David Fincher, it, looking at his body of work, it's very male-centric. This film has a strong female character, and maybe he's aware of the fact that all of his movies are, are about men, and maybe he's thinking about doing something about that. On the other hand... He could just like dudes. <laughs> kind of have a Hitchcock thing going on where all the female characters are actually stand-ins for dudes. <laughs> just saying. Her being kind of a strong male character, maybe this is a touching homosexual love story. Could be. On the other hand, uh, the idea of looking at a, at a director's, or any filmmaker's, body of work and, and sort of trying to glean something about their personality out of that, uh, people often forget. Like, they, they look... We, we as, as filmgoers like to think about, like, the art, and we're like, oh, look at this movie and stuff, and then sometimes we complain about someone being a sellout. But honestly, half the time uh, that uh, someone signs up for a movie is because they're applying for a job, and they got hired, and they're being paid, you know, a salary to do this. Like, right. he, has, he has some clout. He doesn't have to make any movie, uh, but it, it, he probably... Any... Give, uh, any powerful director has several films in development at any one right. time. This one just happened to go at this point and, mm -hmm. and, and get money from the studio. So to one should probably, uh, me specifically, should not try to read too much into the kinds of movies that someone makes because sometimes it's just uh, that's the movies that the studio is willing to pay for. Yeah, and this one is a hot property, so they could have just brought it to David Fincher and said, hey, how about this one? And he could have taken it. This was a, a very successful book series internationally as well as American. And I'm a little surprised that the the box office did not really reflect that. It wound up only making, as of this recording, about $90 million in America and only $50 million overseas. When you compare that to the Swedish version, it made about $10 million in America because Americans don't like to read at movie theaters. Oh, yeah. But it made $90 million over, $95 million overseas. And so... Uh, it made about half as much money because the people in other countries uh, are basically saying, I I already saw the Swedish version. I don't need to see the American yeah. version. That could all just come to kind of what I felt uh, at the end of the movie, which was it wasn't really a necessary remake. It was somewhat needless. Yeah, for for the American audiences who didn't see a foreign language film, yeah, it was necessary to see. But for everyone else... They were fine with the original. Yeah. And it was uh, it was a perfectly serviceable... There was nothing spectacular about the Swedish version, and I have problems with the story, but I understand why it made money, uh, and this one did not significantly improve. I think actually, like, for the reasons I laid out, it, it 
detracted some of the benefits, including we talked about how they made her less cold, less vicious. Even the rape scenes, which are the big shock moment of the originals or the books, and probably what has catapulted this uh, further than it might have gone because of how brutal it is, this one cuts away in the middle of it several times. Because, again, they don't think that American audiences would justify that, or maybe they were worried about the MPAA. But in the original, it is kind of brutal with how long it goes on and just how stark of a wide shot we have showing exactly what is happening. Here, we, she gets knocked out, and then they cut to the door. Well, and no, they, this is, it was a weird sequence of cuts, because he grabs her, and you know he's going to do something, right. and we cut to the door and start pulling away. So it feels like, oh, oh we're not going to see the rape at all. Yeah, then we, we cut back inside the apartment. He slams her head into a table or something. Yeah. Cut to black. And then, and then cut to the door again. Yeah, we're now zooming out, and it's like, are we leaving or not? Are we going to watch this or don't? It, like, make it, a decision. It felt like the door shot, the pulling away from the door shot, like they didn't have a clean take of it, and they just yeah. needed to cut away. Cut to anything. The boom was in the door <laughs> shot, which is the most important. <laughs> so cut to maybe, I don't know, the rape. Uh, There's no, enough rapes in this movie we can cut to yeah, <laughs> Fill it in. It's like in the old black and white movies where they would cut to the woman on the railroad tracks. Just like, <laughs> oops, there's a problem. Uh, no, I think that it was confusing. I could see maybe the motivation of cut to the door and it's pulling out. And in my mind that read, oh, we're not going to see it. They chose then not we'll to cut to her right. at the end washing yeah. out her mouth or whatever. Just like we did with the previous one. But it feels like, oh, good, we're, we're leaving this area that I don't want to be in. Right, and the film, the viewer's mind goes, "Oh, good, we're leaving that ugly scene." Then it cuts back in, and so he's going, "No, you have to watch this," and kind of forcing us to. But then it cuts to the door again. I would be comfortable with maybe one cut for that. It's a little intellectualized of it to go that into that level of depth. But then it goes back in, and she's now handcuffed to the bed. She regains consciousness. He kind of mounts her from behind and uh, puts on a condom, which. The original felt like he was being very savage, very in the moment, and wouldn't take time for something like that. Whereas this one, I, again, thought, oh, maybe he knows she's a wild person with a checkered past. He doesn't want to catch anything. It almost seemed like a selfish move based on that. That yeah. like, he was protecting himself. Right. Not her. And, I agree, but taking was... the time to do it like kind of slows it down, whereas the original felt like, hit over the head, chained to the bed, very quick succession of the brutal elements, which made it feel more impactful. Yeah, and this scene, it didn't go on as long, it didn't focus on it as much. I honestly assumed that David Fincher would, would sort of go nuts with it, um, and, and he kind of didn't. And if I didn't have the Swedish movie to compare it to, I'd probably think it was a pretty rough scene, right. although the cutting to the door twice was still an odd choice. Um, it's funny, you compare it to uh, Fight Club that he made. Uh, initially, the, all those fights were extremely brutal and bloody in the in the original cut. And the uh, MPAA, the people that give us the R ratings and stuff, uh, said that that's too much. That's going to be an NC-17 film. And so instead of showing quite as many punches and kicks and whatever, they cut to the uh, other guys in the basement watching him and cheering him on. Like reaction shots. Yeah. And they're so crazy and, like, really Frothing into it. Mouth and, yeah. It's more disturbing than what right. it was uh, when it was just punching and kicking. And somehow uh, David Fincher didn't learn that lesson uh, and didn't, didn't find another way to make this brutal more disturbing. Uh, but and not he, actually sh graphic. Yeah. Disturbing and brutal, but not graphic. And this is sort of, it's, this is disturbing only insofar as we know that this is the, the act itself is disturbing, but there was nothing about the filmmaking that sort of emphasized. And that might be a perspective, again, having seen the Swedish version. Maybe viewers out there who didn't see that and come and seeing this will think it is a very shocking scene and shocking treatment of it, so we might be colored by having been desensitized by the really <laughs> vicious rape and being like, that rape was nothing. Come on. <laughs> I, when I see rape, I want to see some actual, well, <laughs> brutality. Come yeah. on. Yeah, it like was... My beer cold, my rapes, violent. <laughs> I think the effect was it just felt sanitized a little to me. And, and it's, 
I'm sure David Fincher was sitting in this room. He'd be like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. This yeah. is a disturbing, Please. brutal... Why can't we get some more violent rapes in here? This is disturbing and gross, and why are you saying this is not that hard? And it it is disturbing, and if you hadn't seen the original, it's, right. it's, it's bad. It, it's bad, especially for a mainstream Hollywood movie. Don't yeah. get me wrong. There's, But in terms of watching other movies, there's movies out there like Irreversible or things that have been catapulted again for the pure shock value of their rape scenes that this doesn't compete with. Let's be sure to put that on the DVD box. The rapes don't compare. <laughs> yeah. Rapes, eh. <laughs> Actually, speaking of the, the sequences with this version and its treatment of it, with the her first going to his office for money and he has to, uh, she has to perform oral sex on him, um, and then the next, she gets the camera in her bag and then does the next scene. And then I feel like she goes back to tattoo him and is asking for more money. The way this film cuts it, it feels like those are the se uh, those are sequential days. Like she goes to him, gets money, and then the next day she's there with the camera hidden in her bag. And I'm like, this seems pretty close to A, be asking for money, and B, for that uh, heavy guy to be ready to go again in <laughs> such a violent uh, way of dominance. Doesn't he go, you know what, I'm kind of... From the last rape. Uh, I only do that like once a week. Like, don't want to splurge. But. Well, I feel like she is uh, Swedish, and so she's uh, she's like, ah, another rape. Better get my rape camera and my rape tattoo nice. gun. And she's just ready for it. We might be pushing that button a little much. <laughs> so, uh, just felt like they were, and I think it was a process of, I think it was a result of the cutting more than anything. I, in the story, I'm sure they're supposed to be days or a week apart because I think it, it, when we cut back to the Vanger case, he's done several things in that time. But the way it was cut, it literally feels like the next day. Yeah. Speaking of the cutting, this the speed of the movie, even though it's a longer film than the Swedish version, mm -hmm. it seems so like it seems like it's going at a breakneck pace and just rushing through everything. Which, again, the complaint of the Swedish version was that they're trying to cram everything in, and in this film. They've added a few things right. to cram in, and so it just it's barrels through. Huge movie. It's two hours and 40 minutes or so. And yet it doesn't seem like they spent enough time with anything. Yeah, and even being in English and explaining, having a bit more exposition on like the case he's investigating, I still felt like they didn't give us some of the information that was in the Swedish version. I think ultimately they focused on some of the wrong things, and it comes off totally uh, off from the Swedish version. For instance, when she's in the archives of the company and researching with a map and pictures of the girls, we see marks on a map and her going through file folders, but I don't think it really comes across that that was the travel, you know, the work travel of the company, or specifically, she then later goes through newspaper clippings that show Gottfried, the father of Martin, the you know killer, in each of those cities during that time window. But I felt like in the Swedish movie, they handled it a little more efficiently and just said, oh, wait, he was traveling for work in those towns. Like, and I went, oh, wow, that lines up pretty good. Whereas this one, they spend 20 minutes go showing it visually and not really clicking even as well. And yet this movie had more exposition for other parts. Yeah, they're trying to show it visually and then it missed the mark by a little bit. Yeah, and they're intercutting with Bloomquist back, like looking through photos. And he's like, wait, who is this guy? And they... It's as if he doesn't have a picture of Martin when he's younger. I'm like, you have their whole family album. I'm sure you have one that's him 16. And somehow he's connecting the dots with him just because, wait, here's a blurry picture of him. Here's a blurry picture of him. I think ultimately in the basement he says, oh, I realize they sent you away from school and you had the same logo on your jacket as one of the first girls that was murdered. And that felt either tacked on. I'm like, I don't. I didn't get that from looking at those blurry photos for 20 minutes. <laughs> like, it just felt like a leap, and it, we spent way too much time visually on it. It's, it's weird how... Like, what he's going on. It's strange how, in some ways, the film is sort of insulting our intelligence by spelling things out, and then in other ways, we're sort of left behind and confused about where they're going, because they, they sort of skip points. They don't know where to focus their exposition. Some of the other differences that I noticed uh, was Robin Wright uh, played his editor, and actually she did a very good job of looking for him. I don't know how <laughs> to do that, but I was like, oh, that's a Swedish person. Then I had to be told halfway through that it was her. 
and realize it. Uh, although she looked like he Helen Hunt. She had Helen Hunt hair. <laughs> and I was like, huh, that Swedish woman looks a lot like Helen Hunt. But uh, I mentioned earlier they developed his relationship with her a lot more and had a lot more warmth there toward each other. They even show a scene where she's waking up in his bed and she comes out and finds him on the computer and he says, and she says, usually when I wake up in a cold bed, it's with my husband, implying that even though she's still in the marriage with her husband, it's a loveless one maybe done for convenience or something. Whereas in the original, no, she's still with her husband and they maybe just have trysts on the side. They, again, maybe American audiences wouldn't tolerate a 50-year-old man that doesn't have emotional warmth towards some woman and or wouldn't tolerate her having these extramarital affairs and yet still loving her husband. That's too complex. So they put a lot more of her in there, including, again, having her visit the murder-rape house that he's like, yeah, sure, come out for dinner. But they also had the Vanger family buy the magazine, which was a lot more enmeshment, you know, they, that I'm like... I believe that happened in the book. Oh. Because that did no. not stand out to me. Uh, but it didn't happen in the movie. Right. In the Swedish so, movie, because it was kind of neither here nor there. It, it felt like it was going to be a big change, because I'm like, now they... Like, I thought the American version was all of a sudden going to bust out with Martin having Robin Wright out there and being like, ha, ah, now I know where your family is and we've got your magazine. I can screw you over many different ways than just torture raping you. Um, <laughs> so I thought it was going to be a lot more of that level of intrigue towards the end that they were going to introduce, but they didn't. And so it does come to nothing when at the end they solve the Martin part of the movie. We get the Martin ending. Then they say, oh, here's all our dirt on the bad guy that you were facing. And he goes, that amounts to nothing. And I'm like, then why did you have to buy the magazine and say, we're in your corner now. We're the heavy hitters. No, you're not. <laughs> you're an old guy that has a company, like Family Legacy. It does leave a window for Elizabeth to step up and be like, again, similar to when she asked if she could kill him. She says, you said what I did with you was illegal. Would you be interested in information about your enemy that is also illegal? And he goes, wait, what is this? So it's it does give her a chance to become more useful, but not in like as flattering a way as she was just doing kick-ass stuff and saying, here's the files. Yeah, like she's still asking for permission. Yeah, the asking for permission stuff always struck me as weird in both cases. I didn't understand what they were getting. I think they went with again. She's emotionally still twelve years old or something, so she's looking at him more. Almost surrogate father-like. And then they sleep together several points in the film. A couple more times. That was another thing they added. Was yeah. that we saw a few more sex scenes. The first time is a little gratuitous, but I'll sort of accept it. But like the second time that they're sleeping together, I'm like, yeah, this doesn't have anything to do with anything. Yeah, they're not even getting raped. Is that what you're saying? Less gratuitous uh, consensual sex? That's your problem with the movie? Far too much of that. So... <laughs> All right. Uh, I agree. It felt tacked on. It, there wasn't as much of that in the Swedish version, and they tried to pretty it up. I don't think I got anything out of it because of the amount of rape and things <laughs> in the movie that I'm like, you know what? I don't actually enjoy watching this right now because it's so close to all the rapes. Yeah. It, it, you almost wonder, like, is this also rape in some way <laughs> well, that I don't know? <laughs> it, I just mentioned she's emotionally stunted and he's a father figure, so yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> Um, but as far as the ending with the Vanger group, it kind of just fizzles, and then she does step up and give him the information. The bad guy's ruined, but he says he's going to get away, and then we go for the third ending of her going to Switzerland to bankrupt which was a... That was a fun look and scene and feel with all the cloak and dagger. Uh, it felt like a different movie. It was an Ocean's Eleven you know, tack on at the end where it's like, ooh, look how fun and rich and like high-end she can be. She can go from being scary looking, to putting on outfit and playing the part of a billionaire. See, to me, it was it was obnoxious because in the in the Swedish film, uh, we just cut to her in the Cayman Islands, and she's dressed. She has a blonde wig. She's dressed up, and uh, she has a fake passport. In this version, we see her buy a wig, and we see her buy a passport, and like all of these things that are like, eh, I understand what's happening, and I don't need to see that whole process. Right. And it's just delaying the inevitable. Then she steals all the money, and then we have another ending where she watches uh, Bloomquist and, and Robin Wright uh, hanging out, and she's all heartbroken. Um, and so there's four endings to this film, 
And yeah. they're not even like in quick succession. That's like 40 minutes of endings. Yep. And I did not feel as good with the ending, the final ending that we got as the Swedish version. Like, it felt like it was sad for her. She wanted to come in from the cold and be have a normal relationship and these things. And she's kind of left out of it or left out in the cold. Whereas the Swedish version, she feels like she is above all that. She's dead in those areas. She can get pleasure out of the relationship with him. She respects him on certain levels, but that she's not seeking a conventional. She knows what she wants. She goes to steal the money to please herself, but not to feel emotionally complete. And so for her, for that movie to end like that, it feels again like she's going to keep on going with adventures and she's going to be fine with it. <laughs> and this one, you're like, well, she's lacking inside. The end credits roll. <laughs> yeah, it's a downer ending, which, uh, you know, fits David Fincher's <laughs> Right. Stuff. And funny how it's more of an emotional downer because they introduce emotions in this movie. <laughs> and then they're like, and then sad at the end. Whereas the other one, they're like, Emotions are dead for all of these characters. They only have physical, you know, urges and violence and things like that. So in that one, even though it's far more brutal, it doesn't feel like, it feels like an up ending when, <laughs> yeah, she killed him and stole all his money. Good for her. She's going to go on and be happy, just not emotionally complete. That's enough. Money can fill that hole. Another decision about the American version is some of the casting, um, Clearly. They find the one Swedish actor that we right. have. So then Skarsgård stuck out. Like, I felt the Swedish version, they introduce all the family members. You're like, well, it could be any of them. In this one, they're like, well, there's these nameless people who, some of which we don't even see, I think. And then Stellan Skarsgård, who you know from <laughs> other movies. If I hadn't seen the Swedish version, I would have went, He's, he did it. He's the name actor out of those the cast of characters. This is this is what my wife uh, refers to as the Harry Hamlin role. Mm -hmm. Because uh, I was watching Veronica Mars... And it was getting towards the end of the first season, and I'm trying to figure out who killed her best friend and, like, what's going on, what's going to happen. My wife just walks through the room, and I was like, did they prove that Harry Hamlin did it yet? And I'm like, what? How? How? You don't even watch this show. How do you possibly know that Harry Hamlin did it? She's like, why else would Harry Hamlin be in this show right. if he wasn't the killer? And Stellan Skarsgård is it clearly... sticks out a little bit like yeah. that. Um, I think the other... The only other person I noticed that if I hadn't seen the movie, would be the assist the lawyer to Christopher Plummer, who uh, I think sticks out. I couldn't place him. I knew he had been the evil bad guy in a previous movie. He's you know got enough foreign. You mean the Bush administration? Yeah, <laughs> the the Dick Cheney looking guy with the mole in the forehead. It's like where is he from? I feel like he was the head of an evil corporation, possibly of vampires, <laughs> you know. And then I realized I was thinking of Udo Kier from Blade, and it's not him. He was the bad guy in Beverly Hills Cop. Is, and Rambo, First Blood Part 2. He tortures Sylvester Stallone on an electrified mattress. And then he was a bad guy in a Bond movie, Octopussy. He was General Orlov, I realized. So he could have been the bad guy. I knew the plot and who the bad guy was going to be. I'm like, you know what? This guy was a Bond villain. Maybe it's going to be him in this version. <laughs> For as slick as the American version did make some of the shots in kind of the more grander scale, there was one shot that jumped out as just violating one of the basic rules we've discussed here, where they jumped the 180-degree line. Uh, he's on the phone to the cop about the old murders at the edge of a bridge, and an ambulance the goes by. The bridge. onto <laughs> the private island with the Vangers, and an ambulance goes by, and he looks at it. It's driving left to right. And yet... First, we see it in a reflection of the phone booth and it driving right to left. And then it cuts to the over-the-shoulder shot of him in the phone booth and driving left to right onto the island. We kind of see the house in the background. And then he hangs up and he goes running towards the street. And then now the ambulance is driving past him with two other cars. He flags one of them down. And it's still driving left to right. Apparently, it was a time cut. They, the ambulance drove onto the island, picked up Vanger, and was driving back. And that's when he caught up to the ambulance. Right, on the but, way out. But because the ambulance drives left to right off screen, and then it enters screen from left, and we see him running, it seems like it's a moment later. And, and he's he, somehow, like, caught up with the speeding ambulance. Yeah, six million dollar man running <laughs> down the street. Uh, and it was, uh, it stuck out and seemed like a very basic principle that they should have caught and flipped that last shot. If you got the shot and you've established which side of the road the phone booth is on elsewhere, 
fine, keep it going left to right into the island. But the reverse, they could have just flipped the shot. I don't think you could have flipped that because he runs up to uh, passenger side to the passenger side of the car and he's talking to Stellan Skarsgård. So ultimately, it's one of those things where it's probably they shot the phone booth scene in March and then they shot the catching up to the ambulance in September and and just no one noticed it until they cut it together and they're like, well. We can't move the phone booth because the dude crashes into it at the end of the movie. And uh, you walk up to the passenger side, so we can't change that. Uh, let's just hope it doesn't bother anybody who uh, went to film school. It's a singular point. And unlike, I think, some of the other movies that we've discussed, I don't think the movie is riddled with those. I feel like right. it's, it, it stands out As largely because, yeah, it, it's such a professionally done, glossy picture. But this one shot, you're like, what? that was a weird, why'd you do that, Rock? Yeah. But it also goes to show you, for as big in Hollywood as you make something, mistakes can still happen with the most professional people you can get. I don't. I'm not a fan of either, uh, either version of the girl with the dragon tattoo. But if you're not in the mood for reading subtitles and such, this is a nice, uh, nice, <laughs> <laughs> nice <rate> one. <laughs> this is a you know professionally done, high high quality uh, American film with good actors, and the story is the story. It's not going to get any better whether it's in Swedish or not. If you don't feel like watching a foreign film, uh, you're, you'd be fine watching this. But if you're into more of the cold detachment that the Swedish people have going, uh, <laughs> I think the Swedish one was better tone-wise. The Hollywood one felt like they went for a little more complexity and maybe they didn't hit it. Or maybe they did and I just preferred the other one and so felt it as a deficiency in this one. So I prefer the... Swedish one for those points. This one is almost as good and has some prettier looking moments, but ultimately I like the other one a little better. Yeah, I mean, I would, uh, if really, if you're looking for a serial killer, you know, scary movie, uh, Rent 7. There you go, Rent 7. <laughs> Skip both and of them. Yet this was better than Zodiac, which was cold and attached for just the amount of boredom <laughs> I felt and dated looking chubby people that might be a serial killer. And I was like, wow, that's not sexy or dynamic in any way. <laughs> Zodiac being uh, another one of David Fincher's oh, many serial killers. Right, I was going to say, one of the fun points in the American version is when they're trying to, uh, the daughter gives a throwaway line about the Bible references, and then Bloomquist starts looking into those, realizes that they're murderers, then he brings Elizabeth on, and she cracks, he has maybe like six of the names written down. She starts listing off all these killings that fall under this, and she goes gets up to like eight or nine, and he stops her. And she's like, I have more. And he's like, okay, clearly we're looking for a serial killer. And he just throws it away like, <laughs> we're in a David Fincher movie. So that was obvious to everyone. We don't have to spend more time on how many bodies. Like, I thought it was he's funny. He takes it pretty much in stride. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, yeah, obviously. <laughs> we're in Sweden and in a David Fincher movie, it's a serial killer with rape. All right? <laughs> Combine the two. So My recommendation is uh, don't watch this movie. <laughs> watch Simon instead. My recommendation is you can watch it if you want. I'm not <laughs> going to tell you how to live your life. <laughs> Thanks for listening. See you next week.